Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This season, there's going to be a brand new club in the Premier League. They've been top flight before, but not for many, many years. And they're going to be battling with English football's best on a wage bill that is unimaginably small compared with the rest of the league. Of course, I'm talking about Luton Town Football Club. I'm Kate Mason, and for the next two days on the Football Ramble, we're going to find out a little more about the club and the town, and through that, what kind of game little old Luton are entering into in the Premier League in 2023. This is Inside Luton Town, Episode 1 The Journey. When we asked two Luton fans, Dave and Luke, if there was somewhere we could meet them that had some kind of special meaning for the football club, the answer was simple. The Bricklayer's Arms. <laughs> because here in this pub, a stone's throw away from Luton train station, was where Luton Town Football Club's journey to the Premier League began. The actual group that took over the club, they were actually formed in here, sitting in the back bar. This is Alison, the pub's landlady for 32 years. She has seen it all from behind that bar. Yeah, yeah, they were just fans that used to come in here drinking before and after the game. Yeah. I think they all just sort of got talking, a group of them, and um, I think they found some investors and that, and yeah, that's what, what happened. So. That journey, though, 
has been, well, a bit of a roller coaster. Manager Idol for me was an absolute farce. It just showed you the people that had taken over our club at that time had no idea about football and it was a total, total embarrassment. Cast your mind back to May 2003. Manchester United have won their eighth Premier League title. Chelsea are just about to be purchased by Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich. And meanwhile, just north of the M25, Luton Town's new owners have hatched a plan, inspired by the UK's biggest reality TV show at the time. And the winner of Pop Idol 2003 is... Michelle! The club has been taken over by a mysterious consortium. Property developer John Gurney is the group's frontman. Their first decision is to sack beloved manager Joe Kinnear. Oh, and his assistant, Mick Harford, perhaps the club's most legendary player. That's bad enough. The fans are up in arms. There are protests outside the stadium. But instead of replacing him, Gurney and his backers decided to open the decision to a public telephone vote. To win the fans back, John Gurney has come up with an extraordinary idea. Luton Town Football Club is hosting its very own manager idol. To make things worse from the fans' perspective, all of this, by the way, was captured by a BBC documentary crew. The fans that we've been talking to, the overwhelming favourite is, of course, that the man was sacked from this club just a few weeks ago, Joe Kinnear. He was the clear favourite and has been running ahead until this weekend. And one thing, we never expected this sort of climax to the poll. So you're now saying that Joe Kinnear is probably not the favourite? It's impossible to tell on the voting at this moment in time. Everyone, from the fans and players to the shareholders, can vote for a manager. Welcome to the Luton Town Manager Hotline. Thank you for voting for Joe Kinnear. Hot favourite Joe Kinnear was recently sacked. The vote starts with eight choices. It costs 50p to phone in and cast your vote. Thank you for voting for Steve Cottrell. Eventually, three remain. They are... Mike Newell, a former Luton player and recent Hartlepool manager. Steve Cottrell, recently sacked as an assistant at Sunderland. And Joe Kinnear. The final decision would be based on five separate votes from players, shareholders, season ticket holders, the general public and the board. But I don't know a single person who actually put in a vote. There was no way that if there was a vote from Luton South fans that Joe Kinnear was not getting back in as well. Mm. There's no chance. An hour after the close of the vote, the new manager was going to be announced. So, Gurney had to make sure terms were signed and agreed beforehand with not just one, but three managers. Right. Unsurprisingly, there were problems. Hello, Tony. We've got a bit of a crisis here at Luton. We're having to make an executive decision as to the appointment of the new manager. Who are you voting for? Joe Kinnear still led the public vote, but he hadn't picked up his phone to Gurney all week. It's real chaos on this voting. There's four votes in it. But then, miraculously, a late swing put Mike Newell in the lead by four votes. We will appoint Mike Newell regardless of the telephone poll for two reasons. One, if we fail to agree terms with Joe Kinnear. Um, Steve Cottrell is not here. And Mike is, and we said that whoever was available and we agreed terms with at one o'clock today would be the new manager, so Mike will be the new manager. 
and we've just had a board meeting to ratify that. That's it. No. That phone call was the board meeting. Sorry? That phone call. He was the only one who wasn't here. Mm. The other members of the board are here. So we have a unanimous board decision. This episode from Trouble at the Top, the BBC documentary series that came out of all this, is scarcely believable. Like, really jaw-dropping. But for Luton Town fans, it's just all too believable. This is a club that's been the plaything of some mad ideas in the past. David Kohler, Luton's chairman for much of the 90s, proposed plans for a new stadium that would be completely indoors and feature a movable grass pitch. He referred to the stadium as the Cola Dome. John Gurney, meanwhile, wanted to build a 70,000-seater stadium next to Junction 10 of the M1 and set it on stilts with a Formula One circuit running around the outside. So, you know, it could be worse. But something good came out of that sorry saga in 2003. Something very good. There was a protest uh, organised by fans at Kenworth Road because these new owners, uh, we now know them to be John Gurney, is the kind of figurehead of it, uh, were anonymous. This is Kev. He's on the board of the Luton Town Supporters Trust as its media officer. It got wind that there was going to be a first board meeting on a certain afternoon. So that got shared onto the message board and lots of people went and sort of protested as these people got out of their cars to, you know, you're not welcome at our club, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of got a bit hostile which was wrong in hindsight. It shouldn't have got as hostile as it did. But then from that moment, a number of people were like, well, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna have to do this professionally because they're basically on the inside now and we've got to find a way of getting them back on the outside. And um, the pub just around the corner of the Bricklayer's Arms, it was arranged on the message board that a meeting would take place. 10 or 12 of us attended this meeting, including the current chief executive of the football club, Gary Sweet, who was well behind the formation of the trust. And on that day, we formed the Supporters Trust with the sole purpose of getting rid of John Gurney and his cohorts, and thankfully we succeeded. In the summer of 2003, the Luton Town Supporters Trust was born. John Gurney was pushed out of the club before the new season even started. And out of all of this, in 2007, came the fan-led 2020 consortium who had purchased the club in its hour of need. And now, they've taken Luton Town all the way into the Premier League with those same people at the heart of the club, like Gary Sweet, their CEO. I think everybody left with a bit of hope. And, you know, I think there was a fair degree of positivity because I think when you get a lot of passionate people in the room like that, all in one, one go, you know, we've got a real never say die attitude at Luton. And, and, you know, we, we, we don't accept defeat on anything on the pitch or off the pitch. And so there was a real determination that actually, you know, the club wasn't going to die. In spite of everything, Luton Town will be a Premier League club this season, but they will be a Premier League club like no other. I'm here to find out why. On the other side of your house, can you see into the ground? Or what do you we, see? We can't see, but we can hear everything. Yeah, we know when there is a goal and when there is not a goal. <laughs> so we enjoy the goals. Take a walk up Oak Road in Luton, and it looks like any other residential street. 
Rows of mainly red brick terrace houses, cars lining each side of the street all the way up the hill. But then, about halfway up the street, you see it. Kenilworth Road's famous away entrances. Two of them, set into the houses with all the ceremony of a garage door. On the drop-in, Luton's manager, Rob Edwards, admitted when he came here as Watford manager to watch a game last season, he couldn't even find where to get his ticket. People don't just live either side of the turnstiles, but directly above as well. There are rooms on the second floor, positioned right there above the turnstiles. You'll have seen the pictures and all of the memes. Shavaz's front door is directly next to gate 8. She's lived there with her daughter Zainab for more than five years. And how old is your little one? Uh, she's just five now. And wearing orange, so already maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit. You know when there was, there was a win, uh, they, they celebrated uh, last time. Premier, Getting into Premier the Premier League. League. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So there was, you know, the people uh, gathered here as well. They were beating drums and so the kids were really enjoying and we, we were part of every video. Because <laughs> we were just sitting here. People uh, come, you know, came from far away. And we just we were sitting here, and the kids were enjoying the every celebration and everything. So we don't we do not have to go far away to enjoy it. It's hard to imagine how Luton's promotion parade even squeezed up this street, but it did. After the playoff final, two buses came down here, led by a procession of drummers playing Bangra dolls, all dressed in Luton Town orange. Yeah, I think two words to sum it up for me. I think that um, I think. There's a sense of identity there, and then then there's this, this piece around belonging as well. This is Butch Fazal. He works at the FA on projects addressing the underrepresentation of black, Asian, minority ethnic, and female coaches in the men's game. But first and foremost, he's a Lutonian. Yeah, I was like at the start of it, at the bottom of Oak Road, where they where they come round, and and it was just incredible. Uh, I don't think I've seen that many South Asians celebrating since Pakistan won the World Cup in 10,356 fans. It will be the smallest ground ever in the Premier League, a thousand shy of even Bournemouth's Vitality Stadium. 
It is, apart from behind the main stand, completely surrounded by houses. And in these streets, Luton's Pakistani, Bangladeshi and Indian heritage is particularly strong. Of the town's 200,000 population, over 37% are of Asian descent, half of that Pakistani. But for these Lutonians, Luton Town Football Club hasn't always been a welcoming place. Some of my earliest memories are because we, were, we, we had a place quite close to the, uh, to the football ground. Some of my earliest memories of, uh, is, is watching out the window and seeing, uh, seeing supporters walk by and wondering where they were going. It was a time that was quite difficult for, especially as being a South Asian in the town and, and recognising that there, there, was a, there was a rise of right-wing extremism and with it... Um, came a lot of uh, a lot of fear on my family in particular so the opportunity to actually go and watch the game was never there available to me because mum and dad felt it was uh, it was unsafe but butch was fascinated I could look out from the top of my window and um i could see the floodlights on and knew that the game was going on especially evening matches which were incredible and then seeing these droves of people walking walking by thinking, I wonder what that's all about. On Saturday afternoons, Butch would sneak off and look inside through the gaps of Kenilworth Road's gates. For a number of years, I only thought there was only half a pitch, I'll be honest with you, because I could only see half the pitch through those gates. But it was good fun. And um, those were the earliest memories. And I think uh, it got kind of, um, I think it was, was football was in my DNA after that. I, I got a love for it. Back then, in the 60s, Luton were on their usual roller coaster ride. Relegated from the top flight in 1960, by 65 they found themselves in the fourth division. They climbed back out in 68 with a team that included future Arsenal manager Bruce Rioch. And by 1974 they tasted the top flight once more, if only briefly. It's a good cross too. It's a good header. It was when Luton were promoted to the top flight in 1982 and, crucially, stayed up on the final day of the season in 1983 with David Pleat's iconic jig. The club's golden era began, at least on the pitch. See, this is where me and little club status doesn't work because in the 80s, we were up there, we finished seventh in the first division. Uh, we were regularly playing these top clubs and obviously 1988 cup final, uh, sorry I say cup final because I have to say league cup final, um, it was quite prestigious back then. Walking in uh, white shirts, Arsenal in their traditional red shirts with the white sleeves. Luton's finest hour, the 1988 league cup final where they beat Arsenal 3-2 to capture the club's first major trophy. And as for so much of the 80s, Mick Harford led the line that day. We played very well on the day, especially in the first half. Mick is Mr Luton Town. Name any job at Luton, he's done it. Manager, caretaker manager, player, assistant manager, until John Gurney came along. And now, chief recruitment officer. Harford is not only brave, he's a magnificent jumper and they'll be very wary of him, particularly if he can pull away to the back post against the smaller Arsenal football. could have been two or three in the look. Uh, Brian Steen has scored the opening goal. Watch him, Harford getting in on this one. Foster's in there too! The chance for Luton! Steen has scored! Then it just all it was just mayhem, you know, they, they equalised and they got a and they got a second goal and went 2-1 up. Then they missed a penalty 
and I went off injured at, on about 70 minutes uh, with with a with an ankle injury. Then, thankfully, Steeny and Danny Wilson got two late goals there, uh, and brilliant play by Assi Grimes, and it was a fully deserved victory and uh, the first major trophy I'd ever won and the first major trophy Luton had ever won. So, we've had a few good times at Wembley. It's finished. It's finished. That League Cup put Luton Town Football Club on the map. And in 1989, they made it to Wembley again. Those were halcyon days. There was a, a room full of international footballers with Brian Steen, Ricky Hill, uh, Peter Nicholas and uh, Steve Foster. Uh, I mean, the younger players who then went on to represent the, uh, the country at under-21, under-23 levels. Mitchell Thomas and Tim Breaker. So we had a brilliant squad. The squad was brilliant, but they just needed, just needed to toughen them up a little bit. Uh, they needed a spine, and myself, Steve, and uh, and Peter Nicholas helped them get that way. And we still needed to carry on the way Luton tried play to try to play in in that very expansive way. I think the fact was that we had. I mean, being ethnically diverse myself, and recognising that when I used to watch football in general. Um, I used to see an awful lot of people that didn't look like me, and then when when uh, when Ricky Hill broke in and uh, uh, broke onto the scene, and uh, and then the Steen brothers as well, and Pleaty at one point when Mitchell Thomas had like five or six black players in a team in the mid eighties, it was now it was unheard of, you know, at the height of um, National Front and, and and other stuff, and 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 leaflets being handed out to people uh, at stadiums. Um, you know, uh, racist leaflets as well. To actually walk into a ground and then see these lads playing was was magnificent. And so I, I think about those times and uh, I recognise that they were the they were the pioneers. The backdrop to all this was a period of unprecedented darkness in English football. Some of the travelling so-called Millwall supporters invaded the pitch, and indeed seats were broken and thrown. Onto the playing area. The sports image had never been worse, and one game at Kenworth Road would be a watershed moment. In March 1985, Luton hosted Millwall in the sixth round of the FA Cup. Both clubs had notorious hooligan firms, the Bushwhackers on the Millwall side and Luton's Men in Gear, or MIGs. Hours before kickoff that night, there was already trouble. Pubs and newsagents around the town were having windows smashed and the problems continued inside the stadium. Mick played that day. Still trying to shepherd people to safer positions in the ground. It was, it was scary. I, I never, honestly, this is true, I was stood uh, we were defending a corner and a socks landed next to me and Les Seeley. God rest Les Seeley, it was a sock. And we both looked at the sock and there was three, there was three snooker balls in, in, the, uh, in the sock. And uh, it just kicked off. We went off the pitch two or three times, back on again, on and off again. I mean, and it's the only time I've ever seen police dogs frightened. And that is true. That even the dogs were scared. The way, the way that went on, the the, the ferocity of the invasions were were really really scary. And and the final whistle, the referee got us. We had a corner down at the Oak Road end. There was about three or four minutes left on the clock, and the referee says. Just get ready, boys. Well, I'm going to blow the whistle and just get ready to run off. FA Cup quarter final. Fans who had spilled over began to get onto the playing area, and the 
referee didn't hesitate. He sent the Millwall and Luton players to the touchline after 14 minutes. Luton Town's chairman, David Evans, banned away fans at Kenilworth Road for four seasons. And for all Luton Town's diversity on the pitch, this was a time of deep, deep intolerance. Because we were banned from Europe as well, we had those big metal sort of barriers in front of the uh, in front of the pitch as well to ensure that no uh, no supporters got on it. And then they used to split the Kenny end uh, with this big barrier. But I'll never forget the contorted faces of hatred looking at anyone of colour on, on, on in our end because we did have you know we had still we, I mean I wouldn't say we're diverse now but we still had you know black people and, uh, and 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 a couple of Asians myself included watching the game and when the away supporters would see us um, you could see that, uh, that what they were like and but sometimes they weren't even watching the football they were they were, they were just going at us um, yeah um, and, and going away uh, to watch Luton was uh, well you, you were taking your life in your own hands if you were a person of colour so that was always really really you know something that I I still remember now uh, it, it's, it's, it's quite sad um, but it, you know it was it was society at the time we'll be back after the break this show is sponsored by BetterHelp a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ramble. If the 1980s saw Luton Town become an elite force in English football, then, well, the next 20 years weren't about to be so kind on them. I, I became a bit, bit of a jinx because I started going regularly then. And then it was sort of relegation battle in 1990 where we stayed up on the last day of the season when we beat Derby away. Tim Breaker scored from 30 yards, one of my top five favourite games of all time still. It's rolled for Breaker, the crack one. Oh, it's shot and never moved! 1991, Luton Town did it again. A win on the last day of the season to stay up and against Derby once more. This time at the Kenny, thanks to an old friend. Mick Harford played in the opposition that day. Scored an own goal, which opened the scoring. I'm convinced he scored it on purpose. The riches of the Premier League beckoned. But in 1992, Luton Town's good fortune came to a screeching halt. All we've got to do is win at Notts County on the last day of the season. Luton are a Premier League team, everything's made for us and it all went flat. We lost to Notts County and we've been playing catch up ever since. Four years later, Luton were in the third tier, where they would stay until another further relegation in 2001. Joe Kinnear brought them back up at the first attempt and then enter John Gurney. 
Despite the unorthodox nature of his appointment, Mike Newell won League One and brought the club back to the championship in 2005. But the darkest days were still ahead. And we kind of thought, yeah, they, they, they wanted us out of the league really. So the 30 point deduction, I mean, we were relegated before a ball was kicked, you know. After two successive relegations, it looked like this time Luton weren't bouncing back. Despite the fan-led 2020 consortium buying the club out in November 2007, between 2007 and 9, they were deducted an unprecedented 40 points. Friend of the pod, Kieran Maguire, host of the Price of Football podcast, explained it to us. Administration had become quite a common feature of football in the in the mid-2000s. And it has to be said that some club owners were quite clever at gaming the system. Luton weren't one of those clubs. So they, they were given a 10-point deduction initially in 2006-07 for, for going into administration. Um, they were then given another 10 points deduction for a separate offence involving payments to agents. And they were very unfortunate in the, in the like many clubs. We saw it with Portsmouth. We saw it with Leeds. That football clubs effectively became a toxic pass the parcel between owners um, and, and they tried to dump on somebody else before they got found out. Um, so Luton's owner for a short period of time was a gentleman called David Pinkney, who uh, he said, oh, this, this is nothing to worry about. Payments to agents. That was another 10 points deduction. When you come out of administration, um, you've, you've got to do it the right way. Luton didn't do it the right way. Another 20 points deduction. So it was it was horrendous for them. And it, it didn't really get the attention that it deserved. Mick Harford faced the daunting task of starting life in the dugout in League Two with seven registered players, a club that could barely keep itself afloat and rock bottom of the table with minus 30 points. Well, myself, Gary and the board and me personally, I, I thought we were going into an extinction. I really did. The club was in the wrong hands. Thankfully, uh, within the, within the, within three or four months, the club was taken over by 2020 and uh, they the, the the, uh, give the club a long-term vision and a long-term plan to, to get where we are now. But uh, no, it was worrying, worrying times, uh, Kate. It was really worrying times in those days, yeah. And uh, I think myself, the board, every fan, every player was, was very, very worried about the club at the time. There was enough funds to take us through till the end of December. And we had an FA Cup tie with Nottingham Forest, which actually got delayed on the Saturday to the Tuesday. And so because it got delayed because of a waterlogged pitch, they've obviously done the third round draw in between the two games. Liverpool at home was the reward for the winners. Now, we didn't have no finances to get us beyond... December unless a takeover had happened so what we needed was a financial injection oh hello Liverpool thank you so um, that that game there that Nottingham Forest Cup game basically was 11 footballers going out onto a football pitch maybe not you never knew what would happen but certainly there was the kind of story behind it of you lose this game and your jobs might be done basically there may not be a football club to support anymore we won that game Calvin Andrews scored we won it 1-0 we got Liverpool at home thankfully the TV jumped around uh, the story gave us a few extra quid in an unbelievable turn of events Reese John Arnarisa the left back at Liverpool scored an own goal about three minutes from the end who says it own goal or what 
Happy days, we've got a replay now at Anfield. Ka-ching! Prior to that Notts Forest game though, all you could think about was, oh my God, if we lose this game of football, what am I going to do on a Saturday afternoon? There's still a flag that hangs in the corner of Kenilworth Road that reads, Luton Town FC, established 1885, betrayed by the FA, 2008. There was a feeling that the authorities wanted Luton out of the way, really. We understand that the club was in financial problems at the time and the punishments needed to be made. But I think the big problem that Luton fans have had, still have to this day, which is why that flag still hangs true, is the wrong people were punished. And that was my lowest moment. That, that weekend that we got relegated was my lowest moment. It was the weekend after we won the JPT final as well. Yeah. So it was just yeah. from, from glory to absolute nothing. It's amazing to think that some of the fans who'll be travelling to Anfield, St James's Park and Old Trafford this season were going to Braintree or Gateshead or Hyde, where Luton faced Jordan Clark, now one of their most important players, just 10 years ago. Luton spent four seasons in what was then called the Conference Premier. Three times they reached the playoffs. Three times they fell short. Some not-so-good times at Wembley. The man who eventually cracked it was called John Still. We didn't start great, but I could see it. You know, when I could see it coming, I just had a little bit of fine-tuning. In September 2013, Luton travelled to Wrexham, long before the days of Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds, and were soundly beaten 2-0. And that's the best thing that happened, because I saw it in that game, what I needed to do. And, from, and I said it to the after in my after-match interview, that... All the ingredients are there and I've just got to find out how to, to put them together. And I think I've seen it today. And from that minute on, we, we flew. In John's first full season as manager, Luton Town won the conference premiere with three games to spare. They reached 101 points. They broke Luton Town's record unbeaten streak. They scored a record number of goals. But crucially, the fans were behind the team again. Oh, what a man. This guy is a modern-day legend. He is. There was a point which where, um, I think we talked about this the other day, Ronnie Henry, our defender at the time. Club captain as well at the time. Yeah, club captain. Yeah. got abused from the crowd. So they invited that guy that abused the team um, to the training ground and they sorted it all out. And then from then onwards, a fan at every home game was yes. brought into the huddle to listen to the... To listen to the managers talking about the team. Yeah. And he brought everybody back together. That's how I look at it. I had this thing where let's make the supporter part of the team. Let him listen to the team talk. Let him say something. If he wants to have a gut, the players have a gut, do it. And you know what? It was priceless because sometimes we'd get whole families in the mum, the dad and the three kids, you know, and and just made them feel part. This is your team, you know. This this is your team. It's Supporters, people don't understand. Players come and go, managers come and go, supporters are there all their life. History was made. And, although no one knew it, Luton were on the verge of making a whole lot more. How would you um, describe the club to someone, just from the outside, to someone who doesn't, doesn't know it at all? That's a brilliant question. Because we are, you said about Brentford and Brighton and doing that, we will do it our way. 
and we'll try and do it our way. I don't even think there's a roller coaster that could describe it. I mean, if you went on a roller coaster that had the ups and downs of being a Luton fan had, you'd want to get off halfway through because you'd be feeling sick. It's just, it's incredible, really. Luton have had it difficult. You know, they've, they've come, when we look at the history of the town and we look at the history of where they where they were, you know, nearly out, well, out of the league, you know, in the National League for a number of years and then uh, and how they've risen and the determination and resilience they've shown. That's the same type of determination and resilience that a lot of the ethnic diverse communities in the town have anyway. So there's a real DNA there and there's a real uh, correlation between um, uh, what, what, the, what the club represents and what the town represents as well. Join us for episode two of Inside Luton Town tomorrow, where we look ahead to Luton's shot at the Premier League. You'll hear from Gary Sweet, the club CEO, Rob Edwards, the manager, and you'll find out all about one of the club's most extraordinary players. It's history maker, Pelly Ruddock Mpanzu. You have been listening to Inside Luton Town, presented by me, Kate Mason. The producer is Finn Ranson. Sound design is by Tom Wally. A special thanks to the Luton Town Supporters Trust, the Oh When the Town podcast, and everyone at Luton Town Football Club for speaking with us. We'll see you tomorrow. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Oh my gosh, I'm adopting a puppy right now, but I realize what's at home. Oh no, I have nothing. Well, except unconditional love. But yeah, no crate, no pee-pee pads, no dental chews for his little puppy teeth. Before I doubt myself as a new parent, I just get Instacart to deliver everything from PetSmart. Easy, just like raising a puppy is going to be, right? 
Get Pet Essential from PetSmart with Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply.